Hello, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. Today, I'll be your host, Jovan Lizzo, and I'm here with a very special guest, someone I was fortunate to meet through Instagram, so the power of uh, social media networking, is Dr. Ani Rustomi. How are you? Very good. Hi, Jovan. I'm so glad to be here, and thanks for the invitation. Of course. Um, so the reason why I wanted to reach out to her to see if she'd come on our podcast is because I noticed um, on Instagram when we connected that she's a health and wellness coach, and she also does ambulatory care. So just to kind of start off, could you just give us like a brief introduction to who you are and what your profession is? Absolutely, with pleasure. Um, I am still uh, employed as ambulatory care clinical pharmacist in, um, in Los Angeles County Department of Health Services. And it's an ambulatory care clinic, outpatient clinic, where we perform as uh, clinical pharmacists, various duties and tasks, we manage chronic diseases, we initiate, modify, and discontinue therapy. I personally uh, manage a diabetes clinic, which I'm very, very proud of. And it's, I can call it my baby. It's been several years I've been doing it, you know, along with another pharmacist colleague of mine. We do manage uh, patients with uncontrolled diabetes who have not been able uh to achieve their, you know, um, A1C goals, uh, uh, blood blood sugar levels, weight level, you know, weight goals, and they're referred by their primary care doctor to the pharmacist-run diabetes clinic, where we evaluate them and identify if they're eligible to, you know, be enrolled to the clinic, and we manage them for three months. After three months, we do baseline uh, labs, and then after three months, we also uh, do the post, you know, uh, management labs. Most of our patients do very, very well, and they do graduate with much improved, you know, A1Cs, much improved, absolutely better knowledge about how to control their diabetes, how to actually manage it day to, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, patients are actually happy to be enrolled because there's someone they feel accountable to. They're feeling, okay, I'm going to come back every week. There's blood glucose levels we check with titrate insulin uh, doses, and um, in some, some cases we either discontinue or modify doses of other medications too. We initiate new uh, medications, and the clinic actually works um, as a collaboration, collaborative effort with physicians, nursing, social worker, care managers, health educators, pharmacists. But the beauty of this, you know, the project is that these. Uh, Patients are managed mainly by a pharmacist. We track the progress. Starting the March of 2020, unfortunately, everything went to telemedicine. So we've been following them through telephone. But I have to tell you something very interesting about uh, what you know. What changes we noticed this this year with you know everything moving to telehealth. Our no-show rate for patients actually decreased. Our patients are. Uh, underserved population of, you know, LA County, a lot of times they have hardships of transportation, financial, family issues. They would not be able to make it to appointment. The moment we switch to televisits, there's almost no show, no, no show rate. Everyone's showing up. They're able to use their phones for the visits. We have 15, 20 minute, you know, follow-ups weekly. And, uh, I feel like this was actually a better, uh, Another way of managing chronic diseases, and we've been able to achieve. Not, I, I want to tell you, not, not any less um, better result than with actual face-to-face visits. 
So I always tell my students and my colleagues, we learn something new. This year was um, like a learning, <laughs> learning time for us. Everyone learned something new. And then why not implement it and keep it for coming years? Why not incorporate telemedicine into just actual chronic disease management settings? That's part of my uh, career at the moment. And I do love ambulatory care. I think out of all the careers I've had as a pharmacist, I would say ambulatory care is the most rewarding for a pharmacist who wants to incorporate their clinical skills into practice. And they're given the opportunity to do that. Usually retail and fast-paced environments are not giving you enough time to look at the patient's uh, case as as whole. And you don't even have access to their lab, their chart, the doctor's notes, you know, everything, social worker notes. This way, you have the whole picture. And I do believe that this is how, actually, pharmacy has to be practicing. Blindly dispensing medications in a retail setting without even knowledge of, okay, what happened to this patient's kidney function? Um, what's changed? Is this the appropriate dose for the, um, you know, beta blocker? Let's look at the, you know, vital signs, the blood pressure, the heart rate. So that, and then that gives you clarity and more confidence. I believe ambulatory care is a fantastic opportunity. If new grads have opportunity to pursue a, a residency in ambulatory care, absolutely go for it. I definitely agree. That's something that my colleague and I, Sean, have, have discussed. And even on a previous episode, we kind of talked about that, how we feel the pharmacy needs to go in a sense where we combine retail with ambulatory care or like have ambulatory care pharmacists involved with retail so that way they can know somehow connect it because I know um one of my one of my uh one of the upperclassmen he went to he did a a trip he was in I want to say Denmark I don't remember but he was saying in I think yeah I think it was Denmark where literally all the lab values from the hospitals would go to the community pharmacy so they were able to make decisions based on lab values they were informed on it I would love to see our community pharmacists at least have have access to if they're going to make decisions. Otherwise, it's like you're not able to counsel, you're not able to really determine if this medication is right for this patient currently. I absolutely agree. Even with us accessing the patient's chart three minutes after they see the doctor and everything's documented in a chart, we access the lab values. And even with that information, there's so much to manage and uh, modify. We call back and our providers are very receptive of pharmacists intervening into the therapy dose change. When I uh, approached them with question, um, uh, just recently, there was a patient with uh, impaired kidney function given uh, cephalosporin. It was Keflex, I believe. And then the doctor said, I called back and I said, oops, uh, let's, let's look at the kidney function one more time. The GFR and said, oh, I'm so glad you called me back. We missed it. So imagine a retail setting, fast-paced, patient is sick waiting there, 10 minutes is a 10, like a long 10 minutes, pharmacist is rushing, you give it to patient, they end up again hospitalized. You know, sometimes when you look at those case scenarios, you're thinking, why can't we all practice safer? We, we try to practice safer, well, why can't we do this safer? A uh, retail setting requires also pharmacists more trained uh, clinically to understand uh, what's happening in you know the background and what picture do they see before they make the intervention. But they could have one pharmacist in charge of the clinical interventions and yeah. reaching out to providers. The rest would practice the way they're doing. Yeah. There's many models. I think yeah, it's, I, it's I just like that tied, 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's something that my colleague and I were talking about. Like, I would like to see it that way where not only do you have just ambulatory clinics, maybe at a hospital, um, where it's, you know, more the outpatient setting or it's standalone clinic, but maybe also incorporate an ambulatory care pharmacist in a, just like how you have like the minute care clinics. I don't know if they have that in LA, but we, yeah. But just like yeah. how you have that little section, you could also do something like that for a pharmacist. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And we need to practice safer. We need to practice more uh, collaborative than um, order given by a doctor or uh, other healthcare provider. And that order gets processed without questioning. I would say becoming a new pharmacist, uh, the best advice that I could give um, anyone is always question things and don't be afraid of questioning. That's actually say that's actually the best practice than say, oh, this prescription is given. Let me quickly, quickly, quickly fill it and quickly counsel the patient who may not even remember anything you're saying. They're sick. Mm-hmm. Um, um, safer practice. Absolutely. The stories we hear sometimes errors happening that should have not happened to begin with. Uh, those are the things we have to consider. There's a lot of institutions that are actually tracking, you know, like ISMP, Institute of Safe Medication Practices. Have you read the silly stories that can actually happen? And this is a recorded error that could have prevented by many other providers in the background. So uh, that's what ambulatory care gives you. And you actually feel more fulfilled. You're eager to learn more. After my ambulatory care uh, clinical position, I received uh, my board certification in uh, pharmacotherapy. I wanted to do it. I said the PharmD is not enough to practice. I pursued the the BCPS examination. I loved learning more. And it was actually, I was thinking, oh my gosh, pharmacists are ever learning. When am I going to stop doing this? When am I going to stop taking exams? But you are not. You're not going to ever stop doing it. So California is actually giving pharmacists another um, advanced practice pharmacy license, which is APH. This is something groundbreaking. Pharmacists are um, healthcare providers. They can initiate, modify, discontinue therapy, but yet it has to be recognized federally by Medicare, by CMS. Pharmacists are still auxiliary providers. You cannot on your own practice and uh, do your diabetes management clinic, it has to be in conjunction with uh, a primary care provider. You have to work in collaboration with them. So there's a lot of work we can do. We can actually, and we are advocating for it. And a lot of states, I think, uh, what was the uh, state several days ago I learned, I read the news, Massachusetts, I think, is recognizing pharmacists as healthcare providers. So much more work to be done. And there's wealth of evidence showing that how pharmacists are managing chronic disease is much better. There's valid data showing hypertension is managed better, diabetes numbers are improving. Absolutely, heart failure. And um, there's no time for providers to go over everything with patients within 20 minutes of visit. The system is actually designed for patients to fail and not do better until the next visit. They're not even explained, okay, so what can I do if my numbers are in this range? What can I do? What do I do uh, not to miss my medications? How can I help myself? A lot of doctors are so occupied with other important, you know, diagnostics, background, labs, and everything. So sooner we become the most essential part of that healthcare team, better will be the entire healthcare system. 
Definitely. I completely agree with you. And so you mentioned um, ambulatory care. You're, um, you specifically work in the diabetes clinic, you were saying. Is there any um, other clinics that are part of that, um, that pharmacy or that clinic? Uh, we are starting other clinics. We did establish health education um, as seminars for patients to come in even with their family members uh, as, as part of. Uh, we are NCQA accredited. Um, uh, it's called Patients at a Medical Medical Home (PCMH) model. We'll talk more about that model uh, later. So we need to have health education classes. We need to have chronic disease management um, uh, classes. At the moment, we're working on hypertension um, clinic, so cardiovascular uh, clinic management. Our other facilities do have anticoagulation. You know, uh, there's uh, other you know programs that are involved. What I do currently manage as well is refill authorization clinic. Our health system, a county health system recognizes us as credentialed providers. So instead of the whole refill request going into providers and nursing to sort out and identify if they're eligible for a refill, that comes to pharmacy. That's a pharmacy-run clinic. Um, that's a huge uh, volume of work that's currently done, but I realized that we actually respond much faster. We look at the numbers and labs and eligibility for refill much closer, and we're, we're calculating it. We're managing that data to see how pharmacists are managing even refill authorizations. That's another beautiful project that's in works. Unfortunately, with coronavirus and everything, the access for patients to the general area, we have a clinical pharmacy office, is restricted. And a lot of our patients are um, eager to come in and learn more. We do, I actually established um, a pill check clinic. Pill check was patients who really are so confused about their medications. They bring everything to the pharmacy. Students and pharmacy interns help us. We create programs for them, wallet cards information on how to even remember and then we give out pill boxes. Not a lot of patients are tech savvy. A lot of them who are, they do apps of the reminders of when to take and what is it for. It's a constant repetition. So by the next visit, we're 20-30% of the information that we give out is not retained. So we have to make sure it's reiterated. Interesting projects are coming. Uh, if we're able to open up and just see more patients, I think there's much more projects that are going to be established, especially ambulatory care. There's so much we can do. Oh, there's yeah. so much we can do. Definitely. And um, since you brought brought that up again, the telehealth, I want I forgot to ask you earlier. Do you feel that there was a decrease because, or with those patients, because you said that there was like a, a decrease as far as the no shows, were they more first time patients or patients that you've seen over the years? They were actually both, uh, but a lot of our patients um, rely on, they don't have uh, transportation. These are people who really have either no health insurance or very low socioeconomic status patients. They would rely on someone else to drop them off at the clinic. If a family member wasn't available, they would call and cancel on us. Bus times, they missed the appointment because the bus was there was an issue, transportation, family issues. They got sick a lot. Absolutely. A lot of times uh, with diabetes clinic patients, if they didn't feel like they were doing well that week, they ate something that, you know, different more, or they didn't record their blood glucose numbers, 
they felt kind of like, oh, let me not go in. I, I will cancel and reschedule. But there's no reason now. Everyone's available at their homes. And they're actually saying, I'm so glad you called me. I would have never uh, be able to make it for the appointment. And with COVID restrictions, it's a, it's, it's a nightmare to get into the clinic. There's so many things they have to you know, bypass, the security check, the temperature check. Patients get tired, and we understand that. But this way, the telemedicine is actually for diseases that can be managed virtually. You know, virtually, absolutely. I would, I would say, um, a lot of primary care practices are implementing it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and the reason why I ask that is because on my rotations, I feel the the first timers would usually call out, but if they've been in the clinic before, then they would definitely do the tele- televisit because they knew the type of information they were getting. So that's why I was just asking. I was just wondering. And then I see. Mm-hmm. And then with the also with first timers also yeah uh, first timers also actually show up too because they're interested. Oh, my doctor recommended me to this place. Let me just go in to see what's there. Um, I do feel like it really depends on their own progress if they're gonna call out next time or no. Um, sometimes patients want to be good patients. That's what they want to show the provider that they're they're following the recommendations. That's why we create this non-judgmental environment. Even if you did not, that's still okay to show up. It's better than not showing up. Uh, so it's continuity of care. If they are willing to even understand the fact that not everything can be changed in such a you know short period of time, we give patients um, liberty of understanding of you can change one small thing every week. You don't have to make huge changes in your lifestyle. Uh, you know, every single day, the the stress is level. The stress level is lower. They're feeling more in tune with the you know the diabetes educator, the pharmacist. Uh, as long as we create that trust and um, we're we're there to help you, even if you did not, if you if you you know changed your diet yesterday and you feel guilty about it, I take the guilt out of the guilt, um, judgment, self like doubt. Oh, what did I do? Why did I not listen to that? Okay, I'm gonna show up next time. So when you take that out of the picture, um, and then everyone's and I said if I sometimes break my you know. new, you know, mm-hmm. habits, I eat late or I don't, everyone's human. So when you create that trust, that some system has, we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a huge difference in care, huge difference in care. Yeah. And that's something that I've kind of noticed um, in practice. We're, we're talking about this off air, but um, how different it is from just learning something and then also implementing it into practice. And one thing I feel we weren't necessarily taught in school is the mental component of patients and really trying to figure out a way to connect with them and to help them understand that it's okay and to build that trust so that way they communicate anything that they've done. So that's the most important thing is if they don't trust us, we won't know. And we can make all these different medication changes, but the lifestyle is what's actually what's causing the problem and not the medications. Absolutely. That's why, um, um, since, you know, we talked about it, I'm going to, uh, talk, uh, also about me establishing my health coaching services. It's virtual, um, health coaching services. I realized throughout the years that, uh, pharmacists are integral, integral. We all, we all know that part of the healthcare team, but, uh, we do have empathy. We do have 
the compassion component about our approach to patients that makes them want to do better. And uh, intuitive eating guilt-free mindset about food is healing on its own because patients have been learning. They have had diabetes for, let's say, 5, 10 years. They've always accepted food as punishment. You can't eat that. You can't eat this. You can't eat this much of this much. Uh, it's like, oh, my God, they feel guilty eating more carbs than they were supposed to. Uh, a huge component of the, the program I have is the mental mindfulness, the mental component. Taking out the guilt out of food is not your punishment. It's not a consequence of you being bad as a patient. They think they're doing something bad. That's why doctor says you cannot have this and this and this. So um, mindfulness and healing. Be kind to yourself. Non-judgmental awareness uh, of, okay, is this healthy for me? Can I have it? Even if I had it, I don't have regrets. Because after they eat something they were not supposed to and they feel guilt and shame and they self bash and you know this kind of negative feeling that's actually worse than actually just accepting the fact and moving on a lot of them really need it because even with medications they feel um if they take more medications it's bad i did bad in my diet i did not manage my diabetes well my doctor increased my insulin dose my other diabetes medication uh, doses they feel sick and uh, in other words sick and tired of managing this daily so once they see the light and um, you know at the end of the tunnel that oh there is hope you can absolutely live functional life without the hurdle you know every single day being tired of doing this make it fun let's make it more you know a variety of foods what is it that you like just giving them a sheet saying okay you can have this and this vegetables but this ones you cannot have this is your a1c number what's this data bye go they will leave those papers somewhere before they get home Absolutely. No one's reading any papers that pharmacy is giving out or doctor's office. Uh, you give them my plate. You don't explain what that plate means and how do you calculate your portion. They're not going to look at it. And unfortunately, there's evidence showing that when you're giving written documents to patients with it, without explaining what they mean and how you can benefit from using this information, they absolutely won't follow that recommendation. And I feel like sometimes they uh, feel what uh, some patients have the mentality of, I already have diabetes, I can't do anything else. So why bother? I'm not going to even follow these recommendations. I take my medicine and I can eat what I want. When you give them the power of understanding that, no, you can do so much more than medications. And you know, uh, so much evidence shows that lifestyle modifications are actually higher evidence than medications alone. Lifestyle can change and reverse some people who are close to diabetes. And they can reverse and go back to normal blood sugar levels. So the, the program is really focused on mindset. With right mindset, I see that they can pretty much achieve higher A1C numbers. Let's say patients come in with 10, 10.2, 11, and higher, and they end up in 6 and 7. And that's just with changing their habits. So wealth of evidence. Um, I do also incorporate uh, mindfulness coaching, being be kind to yourself. Don't bash yourself that you did something, you know, not that was recommended by the doctor, and that's okay. A lot of them are saying, 
my doctor said if your A1C goes above nine, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna have to start insulin on you. So here's the punitive approach. Like, oh, I'm gonna punish you with starting insulin, even though they're terrified of it. So that aspect should go. That has to be like absolutely this is manageable and a collaboration with it. I make patients actually in charge of their health. You have to be in charge of your health. You have to learn the skills when you finish the program, you have to be able to manage it yourself. So empowering, empowering people to actually achieve better health. There's nothing more rewarding for a pharmacist that, you know what, I was able to do it. <laughs> Definitely. And um, so how, so what is that program like, that program that you're talking about, that mindfulness? Program? It's, it's uh, absolutely, it's beginning stages. Yes. Okay. So it's intuitive and uh, guilt-free uh, nutrition. It's for now, my program is um, revolving around diabetes patients, but technically it can work for any anyone who wants to, uh, you know, make their health better and uh, eat better and gain more knowledge about nutrition. So um, it, it will be for now as a part time passion of mine. But since I love doing it, then I there's nothing better. I strive and there's nothing better uh, for me seeing that someone actually succeeds successfully achieved their goals. Uh, the program is about three months. Uh, patients enter the program when they do have already hardships managing you know, their diet, meal planning uh, themselves. It incorporates a lot of mind work, self-love, self-respect, and uh, understanding that it's all doable. Uh, we give a lot of good education about nutrition, uh, about uh, what can they manage on their own. After three months, I achieved excellent results. And um, virtual health coaching is striving. Every single person I've talked to nowadays, this had tough year. This year was in immensely tough. And people turned to food to comfort uh, all the other hardships they were going through, financial, personal. You know, a lot of things were happening. Uh, a lot of, unfortunately, I do see a lot of um, obesity um, happening, especially adolescents. I do see teenagers gaining immense amount of weight. There's no school, no physical activities going around. And if we do have the passion, I always tell to my you know, colleagues, my students, if you do have a passion of changing someone's health to better, it's actually a disservice to them not to do it. If you know how to do it and you have a gift or talent of doing it, absolutely. If someone's actually maybe sitting and waiting there and looking at your post and, and, and thinking, oh my gosh, she just spoke about me. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. If you have the talent to heal, go for it. It could be just five minute conversation at the counter with your patient, a healing word. Several minutes of like, you can, I believe in you. Uh, you can absolutely do it. Dispensing medication, uh, and consulting patient is probably the best opportunity for a retail pharmacist. Just put few words of encouragement and like, oh, make sure this and this and this are taken care of as well. Diet wise, sleep schedule, something that you can actually incorporate with the consultation. You will never know what those words will mean for the patient going home saying, oh my gosh, the pharmacist told me this um, today. I've never known about this. I've taken this medication for three years. I never knew about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so 
I'm going to, I want to get back to that program, but before that, I just wanted you to kind of tell us how you got involved or why, like, that's one of your passions. You said it's like a part-time passion of yours, the health and wellness coaching. Absolutely. Um, doing this full time and understanding that, um, you know what? Some of us may have, may be more passionate about, you know, chronic disease management. I wanted to also establish my uh, own health coaching business and pharmacists are actually the best credentialed providers to um, establish um, health coaching services because we have the deep, deep medication knowledge and a lot of good, you know, background information on how, you know, uh, physiology, pathophysiology. We know how to manage diseases. A lot of times we are understanding exactly what's happening in that patient's life because we know what medications they're taking. So some of the medications that can cause metabolic disorders that patients may not even be aware of. So this is going to be virtual. It may turn to become um, a full-time, you know, business of mine. But uh, at the moment, it's part-time, and I love doing it. Patients don't need to walk into any office. There's no restrictions regarding COVID. Patients feel safer uh, through virtual appointments. The thing is to make them understand the benefit and the value of it. A lot of them have already tried several, and I never use this word diet with them because I don't believe that diet is the right word to use. It's kind of restrictive words that has a lot of negative, you know, component to it. They've tried. They've tried. They have tried. And the health coach uh, is really not a consultant. I always tell them, I'm not going to be consulting you to do this or this. I am your coach. I am going to encourage you to do this, gain the knowledge, and actually manage it yourself. So coach is in the background. Coach is always happy and cheering for your progress, but you're doing it. I am empowering you to do it. Uh, There's a lot of pharmacist colleagues of mine that have been uh, switching there due to family situations. There's a lot of things happening in families that are unable to work, you know, full time. Life is happening. They're turning into this health coaching in you know various settings. I believe we're the best equipped for it. And if you can help several people part time, you know, on the days that you're off, how about doing it? You know, mm-hmm. the other side of, and we'll talk also a little bit more about it. That I also will. I received my pharmacogenomics certification, which is exciting, and I would love to talk I, about I it that. more. So I can't wait to talk about that. Pharmacogen, yeah. So. Did you? Uh, no, no, no. I, I'm not certified, but I definitely would like to. That's one of my goals is to implement it into hospital practice. Like I tried to do my journal clubs. Absolutely. Genomics and stuff like that. So part of um, holistic approach, you know, precision medicine is, as you know, pharmacogenomics is an emerging field that pharmacists can get involved and actually make a huge difference. So I'm starting, I'm learning more about it. But what that means is um, with specialty practices, psychiatry, it could be cardiovascular practice, there's a lot of um, avenues for pharmacists to uh, get involved and, and make a difference. Pharmacogenomics is absolutely, believe it's crucial part of, not the last part of patient care, but I would say very first part of patient care before even starting the medication. Blood transfusions, do we 
to transfuse blood from someone else to someone else without checking to see if it's a matching type? Absolutely no. Why would we give someone Plavix without knowing if the patient can metabolize Plavix? So uh, the training that I'm going through, and actually I'm almost done with it. So we partner with uh, physicians' offices that are they're very excited about it. They would love to learn more. The providers, they don't have the time resources to actually read the report and keep it in patient's file, modify therapy, discontinue, or not even start the therapy. Uh, pharmacists learn how to incorporate that 30-page report to one one-page summary, give it to patient, and it's one-time test that's done in their lifetime. Uh, we do um, see the profile, who, what they're able to metabolize, what they're poor, intermediate, or ultra-rapid, or, uh, you know, there's any deficiencies. Yeah. That's emerging. That's future of med- precision medicine is going to, in a few years, I bet you you will see more pharmacists involved in this. Um, genetic testing is actually performed. It's very quick, 30 seconds uh, behind the cheek brush and that's it. The, the test is done in two days. Um, that's part of my practice also as holistic approach. Uh, prevention is the key. I would totally say that prevention is the key. Food is medicine. Patients have to be treated precisely, and this approach should be implemented absolutely at all level, of, you know, all levels of practices. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I completely agree with you as far as pharmacogenomics. I think precision medicine is definitely the future. You see a lot more, I don't want to say just patients, but individuals are interested in not only their own genetics, but in personalized care. That's why independent pharmacy is such a successful business. And I think that more personalized care to individuals means that you're more invested in them and they want to know that, hey, I'm just not like everybody else. Like you're looking at me as a unique individual and not lumping me in with everybody else. And that's one of the reasons why I love pharmacogenomics because it's just, I can't treat every patient the same. I don't want to generalize and just assume like you said, in the, like in the initial phase, like, oh yeah, you can break down, you can metabolize Plavix, but it's like, you could be a poor metabolizer, <laughs> you know? So it's just like that might, Absolutely. and just because you don't know, I'll even tell this story. Um, one of our professors, I believe it was, carbamazepine if not it was probably ox carbamazepine but it, it was one of the two and her she's white and her son is white but he's also asian but he looks white so if she wasn't a pharmacist she wouldn't have known to tell them that like hey you need to check have you tested? Um, yeah have you checked it's the i think it's 1502 right it's hla star 1502 um one five zero. yeah um, for her son, like that needs to be checked first because he has Asian descent, but you can't just look at somebody and assume they don't, <laughs> you know? So it's just like, that's something that luckily, cause they didn't ask her. So luckily she knew that. And she told him like, Hey, like on his dad's side, there's Asian descent. We have to test for this first. So, um, but he would have been fine. Uh, he, he didn't have like any genetic He did not, but, but yeah, the pharmacist but it, intervened. Exactly. She made the intervention. Yeah. You see how important it is. Mm-hmm, um, when I, when I did my certification, it was a very tedious because we didn't, we did only like one semester of pharmacogenomics. We didn't go that much deep dive in, you know, what that actually is. It's actually the most interesting, uh, uh, so far that I've learned. 
Seventy percent of us have some kind of single nucleotide polymorphism. Seventy percent of humans are there's something that's happening with your you know enzyme profile. The cases that I actually was reading and learning that so many people end up in hospitals for stent thrombosis because they were not able to uh, metabolize the medications properly, especially you know the plavix. I will talk about cardio, um, cardiovascular medicine. Uh, about 200 medications now, uh, by FDA added the FDA block, you know, the black box warning saying that the, the genetics is recommended. Some of the medications like the warfarin or the, the, you know, the carbamazepine, that's a mandatory testing that absolutely, uh, they're specific. And then there's other guidelines for the pharmacogenomics and FDA recommends of mandatory testing, uh, but the rest of the medications are just given to patients and um, psychiatry practice trial and error rate is incredible. By the time they find the right medication, imagine the tough time patient goes through within nine, 12 months on top of having the issues before even to begin with. Nine to 12 months of let's try this, let's try that, let's try this. Come back in three months. Let's see what's happening. And the patients sometimes do, do you know that some of them are not even taking their medication. A lot of patients, when they feel something is not right, and they would not tell the doctor that they're not taking it. Oh, I'm fine. I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe that should be started with every single medication that's known to cause, known to be involved in, you know, uh, polymorphism of some sort. So this should be the. I would say in five years, when hopefully we'll talk <laughs> again, we will see. I would love to. I would love to. Practice mm-hmm. precision medicine. Isn't it good to cut healthcare costs and patient doesn't end up with recurrent MI? That isn't that the, the most fantastic thing you could wish for a patient? This is interesting that a lot of doctors are when I reach out to them with the services, absolutely ten out of ten will say yes, I'm interested. What does that mean? And they would love to do it, but they don't have the resources to, they don't have the time to understand that 30 page. It's, it's very complicated report if you don't know what you're looking for. My coach was training me, um, for the pharmacogenomics. She's been doing this for several years and, um, she says that every pharmacist that has been trained with her, um, they've opened up the you know, their own functional, you know, health practice or virtual health coaching practice. Um, this is a, a promising field for a pharmacist, uh, but you have to be passionate about it. If you do it because you want to do it, absolutely won't work. Definitely, I agree. And for everybody listening, if you want to gain some more insight, I did do a pharmacogenomics interview. I believe it was season three. So you can go ahead and tune into that to gain some a little bit more insight on pharmacogenomics. But awesome. All right. No, I didn't know that. So that's that's exciting. And I would definitely um love to communicate also with your coach to kind of pick her brain on things like that. But Absolutely. Um going back to the 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 program that you have, the mindfulness program. So is that only for patients that you see in your clinic or is it for anybody? Is pharmacists welcome, doctors, nurses? There's, um, physician assistant. Um, it's absolutely for anyone welcome to learn more because the program is actually teaching, uh, my belief in uh, practicing holistic approach is prevention is the key. It's mm-hmm. either easier to prevent diseases than treat them. 
So if people are interested in, they are actually contacting me, uh, can I actually join, you know, the program? I'm so interested to make a difference in my uh, own health. That will benefit them as well because the purchase we incorporate is um, the standard, like most authoritative approach of nutrition. These are the recommendations, 30 minutes of exercise, 10 or 15 minutes of exercise a week. This is how much you can eat. That's it. That's it. That's it. Go look at the, you know, the information. Uh, we're the best resource for good information. I do have a lot of people who don't have diabetes, but they do have the predisposition, family history, um, or um, obesity. They were told by their doctor, you're pre-diabetic. If you, you know, don't follow recommendations, you will may and, and some features are at risk. So they want to gain uh, more knowledge on it. A lot of people who come in, they do learn and they empower and educate their family members. So they try to eat differently. The whole family starts making the changes. And I think this couldn't be any better reward for me to understand what one person can empower other five mm-hmm. to shop and eat differently. Mm-hmm. Families change their habits. Families start exercising together. Um, the toughest year for this year was dealing with teenagers, you know, changing the school schedule and everyone's at home. Everyone's stuck at home. I don't know if you've noticed, when you're at home, do you eat more or less? You always eat more when you're stuck at home, right? Because you're trying to compensate like the time that you have, you don't know what to do. Um, a lot of times those kind of like bringing them back on track and making um, them uh, understand, okay, so if I ate this, what's, nutri- what's the nutritional value of this food? Um, just by telling them that this is healthy, this is unhealthy, don't eat it, it's not going to work. We, I give them valued information on why is this not healthy and why is this good for you. Um, I did a lot of uh, also self-training because when you're trying to train someone and coach someone, uh, absolutely, you have to uh, invest in your own uh, the self-discovery, understanding if you're good enough, if you're healthy enough, if you're healed enough to teach. Overburned and tired medical professionals don't become good coaches because they have nothing else to give to anyone. They're tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, my transformation was I read a lot of books. You know, Tony Robbins is one of my favorites. He says we have to visualize where you want to be in five years, ten years, twenty years. So when you visualize with the patient, do you want to be in this and or worse in ten years? How do you see yourself in ten years? Let's imagine that. Absolutely, everyone wants to see themselves better, healthier, living longer, and be there for the family. Once you give them the vision of this is what you can achieve, that's the secret. It's like, absolutely, I'm doing this. Just by telling them about now, what's good for you, now doesn't work. It's five, ten years from now. Do you want to have your A1C numbers are worse? You take three other medications and your health is declining. Unfortunately, we're aging. Our health is not going to get better as we age. Uh, patients feel that a lot of times they don't have the chance to talk about all of that at the regular primary care visit. All, most of the questions are unanswered due to time. And they, they do feel like I left the office. I don't even know why he increased my, uh, insulin dose or I don't even know why he increased my metformin dose. I don't like to take metformin. It gives me all these side effects. Several patients I've talked to, although my health coaching doesn't go already to medication advice because of the, the, the setting, 
But a lot of patients have switched to extended release metformin and they're doing fantastic. So, so several years patient goes with side effects suffering and then doesn't have the opportunity to talk to someone say, uh, and then someone say, oh, how about we try this for you? Let's, let's work on it. And then patients stayed on metformin and did better. Um, even ADA, every year we have ADA guidelines updating. There's no such guideline that updates almost every year than um, diabetes guidelines, the American Diabetes Association. Lifestyle management, uh, cornerstone of therapy. And, um, there was very interesting fact I read with this 2021 update. That's, that's interesting. Diabetes distress and mood disorders in patients with diabetes is tremendous. High level of depression, anxiety, they're sick and tired of it. There was a study that was done. It was, it's called Dawn 2. Diabetes attitudes, wishes, and I'm not sure about the, the last letter. Dawn 2 identifies that patients said, uh, almost half of the patients said that they were feeling distressed, sad, and scared and tired of managing their disease. But only half of them said that they were asked that question at the primary care provider. How do you feel about it? How do you feel you're managing it? Do you feel you're overwhelmed? Or you can, so these kind of uh, things. Uh, health coaching is going to be another avenue for pharmacists to thrive with our extensive deep knowledge about pharmacotherapy, but we also have the knowledge of non-pharmaceutical approaches. So, Absolutely. If you have a passion of teaching, you, you have to make it, uh, not make it, but you have to have it as your passion. If you're a pharmacist that's really focused on accuracy and, and tasks and people skills are not, everyone's different. We can't have everyone love communicating, you know, the way we do. But if you do have the talent, absolutely go for it. We are health coaches full time uh, at, at our retail pharmacy. We are health coaches. We actually empower every person at consultation window. Absolutely, that's our avenue. Do you have patients that actually come back and ask for you? Have you noticed that you have patients who come back and say, "I want to talk to this pharmacist." Last week I was here. She said something to me, or he said something to me that was that actually changed my diet habits. <laughs> yeah, I I think you. You kind of mentioned probably the title of this episode, um, prevention is key. And a lot of times, which you kind of alluded to was with diabetes or with hypertension, the patient might feel like they kind of give up, like that's it. But it's like things can be worse than that. So it's like you can, you can have the opportunity to control things to prevent five years down the line from something like an MI if you have hypertension or with diabetes, DKA, depending if you have like type 1 or type 2 and HHS. So it's just like there's so many different things that you can look at. You can, you know, a foot infection to prevent diabetes, foot infections and stuff like that. So there's so many different things that to prevent going forward that they feel, hey, now that I have this disease state, it's over. Like, no, <laughs> no, you can still, there's plenty of people that live with diabetes. There's plenty of people that live with hypertension and you can have a successful, healthy life with those medic, with those disease states, as long as you're being mindful and taking care of yourself lifestyle-wise and also um, medication-wise if needed. Absolutely. So what in what ways would you say that um, for pharmacy students, like how could we kind of get involved in promoting health and wellness with our patients? Oh, there's um, plenty and wealth of resources that pharmacy students can actually uh, implement their their teaching skills. You know, this is 
motivational interviewing that we can all learn at you know at all years of our pharmacy school and ongoing. I would say your rotations and are the your best resource to communicate with patients because that's uh, especially nowadays people have tons of questions about nutrition. Uh, the first is to uh, find the right resources to get more knowledge, and then evaluate that knowledge to um, can I actually relay that to this patient? Is this the right information to give? So uh, absolutely read guidelines. USDA has fantastic resources. Um, there's a lot more that CDC has, and also NIDTP, the National Institute of Diabetes Prevention. Fantastic resources and patient-friendly language. Uh, we always think it's eighth grade language that we have to um, relay the information to patients, but uh, it's a little lower than eighth grade. So giving them information um, at the setting that they're actually doing their rotations, they're you know practicing, they're learning, or they're working on you know summertime best outlet i can guarantee you your patients are going to be grateful for it and there's not a single time that you can give you know useful information and that will go nowhere fulfillment being more education and if it's your passion if you feel like oh i think this is my passion let me learn more about it how about i talk about um next time i see this patient who has diabetes okay so um what was your dinner what did you eat for you know breakfast? Let's talk about it. Five minute conversation. You don't have to go very detailed about fiber or carb um, portions, content numbers, or anything complex. But try to stick with it. Consistency. Or if you do breakfast, lunch, and dinner, try to stick with same portions. Always have snacks in between. Uh, don't when you feel like you're craving. There's a lot that you know we can teach our patients about cravings, what not to do to have cravings and how to eat the way that you won't have those on you know all unhealthy cravings there's a lot students can do preceptors are the key if the preceptors are encouraging absolutely you're the one um interns are consultation um also um, help for the pharmacist on the phone um you can actually start with uh people who you know and your surroundings that may have the disease, why not start with a family member or a friend who's actually suffered and they're lost. They don't know what to do. They, they're scared of food. Like everything that I like, I can't eat. So what do mm -hmm. I do? Every patient is a unique case. A lot of times what I recommend is not going to be suitable for the other patient. I I don't want dairy. I'm not going to eat dairy. I'm not going to have the low-fat yogurt. I absolutely don't like dairy. The other one says, I hate kale or spinach. I'm not going to touch it. No matter how much you tell me um, that it's healthy, I'm not touching it. I had a patient. He actually told me that he had Pop-Tarts uh -huh. for 20 years for breakfast with his coffee. And we talked about breads. I said, okay, let's talk about different kinds of breads, mm -hmm. what your choices are. And he's like, don't even go there. Don't even dare telling me that I have to eat seeds with my breads because I have to rinse my mouth after I eat that, eat that bread slice. I said, how about we give it a try? Mm -hmm. what, is this, what, what's going to happen with you if you try tomorrow morning? You can try mm -hmm. it once. So a few days later, he called me. He was like a patient who was very outspoken. He said, I want to tell you. I've been eating that damn bread for five days, and I'm actually loving it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no that, more pop tarts. <laughs> and that's something that uh, I'll even admit with myself with changing um, the way that I eat. 
because I'm kind of on like a fitness journey. And um, I realized like same thing with kale. I was just like, I'm not eating this just the way it looks. And it's like, oh, I actually kind of like this. <laughs> and it's like, I, I learned that I actually like a lot of healthy foods. I would just have known if I didn't incorporate more vegetables in my diet. I didn't know I loved beets. I never ate them. But once I tried it, I was like, oh, this is amazing. So it's just like certain things you Absolutely. won't So my conversations with patients are not authoritative that you have to have these foods because they're beneficial, because they have low carb and they're high in antioxidants. No. Is it what can you compromise? What are you willing to change? What kind of changes are you willing to give me? If I tell you out of the, these three foods group, which one would you choose? When you give the patient the power of choosing themselves, they will stick to it. If you tell them this is the only thing you can eat and nothing else, absolutely. They'll be like, mm-mm. I am going to go home and I'm not going to listen to you. Empowering them to make the choice is a key of coaching. So you give them the power of saying, I will choose this one and I will go to the grocery store. I will buy that food. Um, that's how it's a little bit different from a primary care model where they're just given the information. Coaching is that I want the patient to tell, tell it to me. I want you to tell me what you're willing to change out of the choices that I gave you. It works. There's evidence in health coaching and especially pharmacists in health coaching. Um, that's integral part of our current disease management and Absolutely. If, as I said, if you have passion for it, there could not be the best time to do this and provide service for people. Because when we give the oath is not only to practice safe and do our job, but also do a little bit more, a little tiny bit more than we actually can, helping our neighbor to understand, okay, so how about we read with you about we know people in our surroundings that have diabetes every other person that you talk to there's some issues with their you know blood sugar so okay how about you want to have a 10 minute conversation and i'm a pharmacist you know i'm a future pharmacist i would love to help you if you're willing to um this will not go unnoticed and you will make a change at the end of the day it's like oh i helped this you know a friend of mine to do better like for at least for their breakfast part you know some people are like i'm not changing my breakfast lunch and dinner menu at all i love what i eat okay can you at least change one meal of the day to do that yes sure okay once you get the yes and once you feel that um, the advice you give is actually absolutely healthy advice and that could benefit the patient go for it and I like how um, another thing that I've, I've kind of taken away from this conversation is that you do a lot of baby steps. And I think that's big, um, especially with small these, steps. Absolutely. Just because, you know, especially if they just had a hospital visit and they just left the hospital, a lot of drastic, a lot of drastic things just happen. They probably put on new medications. They never knew they had diabetes. Now they have to take insulin or maybe a GLP-1 that's injectable. And you know, they're just like unfamiliar with all this or they hate needles. I remember we had a patient when on my ambulatory care rotation who was absolutely against needles. And so I just offered yes. to like show, like, can I just show you like how it's done? And he, and he said, sure. So, um, and the pharmacist let me. So we went and got our, our like, uh, tools 
um, and kind of just showed him like the needles and everything. He's like, oh, I thought the needles were longer and bigger. I was like, times have changed, buddy. Oh, I thought it was like, no, it's, it's really tiny. He's like, oh, I can do this. Show That's me again. Different. Yeah, he was like, um, exactly. And then he was like, let me try. And then he took, because um, we had like the fake abdomen and everything. And he was able to inject it. And he was like, oh, that's that's not bad at all. Like, I can handle this. And so that's that's something where. Absolutely. Um, such a good example. I wanted to also uh, mention that when we do health coaching and pharmacists, you know, run health coaching services, we account patients, cultural, religious, and uh any other uh, cultural or I don't know, like the whole, pa like every patient is a unique individual. We can't just adopt all the guidelines. It's like, oh, okay, by guidelines, you have to do this. Patients have been culturally, pa patients have been eating. The majority of patients I have are Hispanic and they have been doing uh, corn and, you know, certain foods in their diet for their entire life. As a pharmacist and a health coach, if I tell them absolutely no corn tortilla starting tomorrow, will that patient listen to me? No. So we do negotiate. We do say, okay, let's let's talk more about the benefits of um, whole grain. Um, let's say options. Are you willing to, you know, incorporate that in your diet, reducing uh, the portion sizes and substituting? So baby steps, absolutely. They can achieve. If we tell them overnight things are changing for you, that's actually poor uh, service to patients, giving them more stress, and they will not come back for another session saying, oh my gosh, she was telling me things that I've never had in my life. I'm not going to do this. Let me just go to someone else. So accounting the patient as whole person with their beliefs, their habits, cultural, and, and a personal habit. Absolutely. This is just the key of coaching definitely and so for everybody that's listening um that wants to get involved in the program and kind of learn from you what is the best way for them to gain access to that program or to reach out to you absolutely and you can actually find me on a linkedin my professional profile is there there is a link to book a consultation 15-minute consultation with me uh, my website is almost, almost, you know, uh, close to be ready at the end of the month. It's going to be launched. And also Instagram. I do have um, uh, plans to give um, like a lot of good information on Instagram very soon. But Instagram also has that uh, the calendar link that you can actually book the consultation mm -hmm. and uh, absolutely chat with me if, you know, what your goals are. Definitely. And then... Just for everybody listening, I'll go ahead. Whenever you get like the website and everything, I can include it in our show notes in our description. So that way, whenever people absolutely, it. I will send it to you. Awesome. So yeah, I I could do that. And I'll, I could also include your Instagram on there, so that way people can just go ahead and follow you as well. And then before I let you go, is there any questions you have for me? Oh, um, you know what? I was actually thinking about it before we started our recording. So. Uh, I was going to ask you, um, uh, what was your favorite rotation? What is it that you liked? The, okay, well, I think this is my passion. <laughs> so before starting rotation, I took, it's funny because I always feel like you, you need to ask other people sometimes, like, what am I good at and what you feel like <laughs> you like? Sometimes you don't even realize what you enjoy. And I was talking to one of my colleagues, Kareem, and he was like, 
oh, Pharmacogenomics. genomics. I was like, what? He was like, bro, you would always, <laughs> he was like, man, you would always know this stuff whenever we had questions on it. It would like just come to you like this. And it's like, how do you remember all this? And it's just like, oh, it's easy. It's this enzyme or this, this, um, um, HLA star, you know, for this disease state, et cetera, et cetera. So just knowing like the different genomes. So I would say I want to do something that allows me to implement pharmacogenomics. Um, okay. And then I took a liking to psychiatry. I don't know because I haven't had a rotation for inpatient psych. If I would want to do that, I would think more outpatient, but hopefully um, okay. Okay. for a residency and then experience some inpatient psychiatry. And then while on my AMCARE rotation, um, I gained a passion for AMCARE and transitions of care. I thought transitions of care was really Transitional, cool. okay. Mm-hmm. I agree. I did uh, one month of learning in our hospital and I was almost switching my location for my work. I said, I'm going to be the TOC pharmacist here. I love it. Things yeah. changed. I didn't go there. But it was the best thing that I've had uh, for as long as I remember the, the discharge. Oh my gosh, the part, the, imagine the things you can uh, actually change in that patient's life and the, the, the input you can have. Any field you choose, you um, need to just make it, a, a, it has to be your passion. It has to be your passion. A lot of us, unfortunately, I have to admit that a lot of us went to the first offered pharmacist job because we had to find a job and just move on from there. But several years of retail experience is giving you actually the strength and then the immense um, ex, you know, experience to Okay, so let me decide. Maybe now is the time to change. And don't be afraid of making the change. You absolutely, a lot of people, a lot of pharmacists I know, when they work for retail for several years, they're like, oh, I can't do anything else. I'm, I don't have the skills or I can't do a hospital pharmacist. At the moment, if you have a residency, um, you know, chance, absolutely do it and go for specialty. Research and development. There's tons of pharmacists I know. My friends are going for, you know, pharmaceutical companies to become their drug information pharmacists. What a fantastic opportunity. Um, there's many things we can do and, um, sky's the limit. There's no way that we can stick with one position. And my advice for new grads would be don't be scared of changing your setting. Absolutely don't be scared. You are able to learn. Get your certifications. It's an ever learning profession. Every few days we'll look at things are changing, right? Drug disease therapy is changing. Medications are coming up. Go for it. Never be scared of change and, uh, good things are coming. Good things are there for you as a pharmacist to make a change. And, um, to tack on to that, one of my mentors, she told me, she's like the best career advice I was given. So she was like, I'm passing it on to you. And now I'm passing it on to the listeners is as soon as you graduate and start working don't make any big purchases that kind of lock you in because she was saying that's something that a lot of people will do they either buy a house or they buy an expensive car or something that kind of locks you into where you can't leave that salary the job yeah so you can't leave that job how so true this is actually very very oh my god that's the best thing that i've heard in terms of financial planning yeah absolutely because you're like oh i can't leave my job now that's it you'll say trust me you'll have like some great opportunities that come in your first couple of years or three years of working or you'll hear about something that you would like to do but you're too scared to do it not necessarily because it's a different field but because of payments whether it's um a house 
house loan, you have to pay down, car loan, et cetera, et cetera. So she was like, don't lock yourself into anything, any big purchases for like your first three to five years in your career. So that way you can be flexible. Very good advice. I agree. And then, um, absolutely. mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, to answer your question, I would say my best rotation. Um, actually, I'll, I'll list them out for everybody listening in case they haven't, in case they don't know. So I've done community. I've done, um, ambulatory care, gen med, but my gen med rotation was with critical care pharmacist. So it was really crit care. And I've Mm -hmm. also done, um, hospital practice. And right now I'm doing geriatrics, um, at a consultant pharmacy. Okay. And out of those, Amcare, without a doubt, was my best experience. I was able to do um, that story that I told was from a transition to care patient. So that was the transition to care. Okay. They're mainly a Coumadin clinic, but they also have diabetes. They usually don't let students partake in the diabetes. That's more like the PGYT residence job. But I asked, and they were kind of flexible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's just mainly that. They actually, I was excited to go there because they had a pharmacogenomic component. But I guess... The pharmacist that was running it left and nobody picked it up, but they still had it like listed, like website information, stuff like that. So I thought I would gain experience in it, but I guess the person left and they just never updated that website. So I was kind of disappointed, but I'm glad that they at least had it. That means that there's um, a chance, you know, if I end up with a residency there or if I end up, you know, wherever my career takes me, like possibly going back there and maybe starting like or implementing that and try absolutely 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 and you can achieve anything you want and when when we think uh graduating the pharmacy school um uh, we know we know maybe i would say five percent of pharmacy practice that we should know at the best yet to come your practice starts and your knowledge starts when you start just becoming the one that's in charge of it you're actually the one who's you know, making the professional judgment of making that decision. I was talking to my colleague the other day and I said, do you feel the stress of a pharmacist role in general? He said he was a a pharmacist with more than 40 years of experience. Yes, he said, making prudent decisions in a quick, short amount of time. That's what where your stress comes from. If you feel like you can manage that, uh, that was another thing that I was going to tell new grads, making professional judgments in a very short amount of time. And if, if you feel like you need more time, absolutely take it. Mm-hmm. Speed is a poor substitute for, you know, accuracy. If you feel like you need to take another two minutes to look at something again, absolutely do it. A lot of times I've gone home when I was a new pharmacist and all night I was thinking, okay, what did I do? Did I do this correct? Did I do that correct? I've gone to pharmacy back in the evening several times in my career to double check my work. But that goes away. Once you do that, you did all the pre-check steps and then you were accurate and you did due to your best, you know, diligence and judgment, you should be okay. That's why ambulatory care excites me more because we have more time to look at the whole patient case. That I, I would never trade it for anything. I love ambulatory care. I love that aspect as well. I think you you also have to kind of know your personality type and who you are. It doesn't mean you can't improve it, but I like to sit down and look at the whole picture, like you said, like half the lab values. Okay. And I don't feel comfortable making decisions just assuming. So it's like in the retail setting, it's like, why are they on these medications? And I don't know. I have to contact the physician. And now, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And it's like, I leave a message, but now I'm just waiting for them to call back. And it's, 
and when will they call back? You know, and it's like, do you let the <laughs> this or do you just say no? And it's just like, and then you can let the patient go with it with the meds, and then you can tell them to contact the physician, but it's still a waiting game, and you're not able to make a conscious decision. So that's one of my reasons. Reasons I'm not big on retail, but um, yeah. And also maybe interning, yeah, absolutely. Just first few years to gain more experience, but retail uh, pharmacy is kind of practicing like shooting in the dark. You don't know what you're doing, and I I did not like that feeling uh, of unknown. Why am I dispensing this medication? This this is, this doesn't sound right. A lot of patients see multiple um, providers, and the providers have no connection to each other. They have no idea what. They're duplicating medication. This was my nightmare in retail. Several beta blockers given by different providers, and no one, no one's talking had, to one another. Had, um, it wasn't my patient, but there was a patient that had three different beta blockers, and they were taking all three, and they didn't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's like they didn't know, and I think stories physicians, and they didn't know. So luckily, they came to our transition to care clinic. Otherwise, who knows how long that would have gone. And what, what would have happened exactly oh no no for sure yeah absolutely mm-hmm. but thank you so much for coming on um i know it's very early for you you're on the west coast um appreciate you taking the time it's out to okay no worries talk to us um is there any other questions you have for me uh i just wish you guys the very best uh whichever pathway you choose in pharmacy you've chosen one of the best professions i'm gonna guarantee you i've had um, how many more than 12 years of experience as a pharmacist i wouldn't change it for anything i love what we what i do and i'm sure you guys all will and all the best to you uh, try to do whatever you're doing become a, a, an expert at it if you're doing what you're doing and you're the best in your field you're going to be highly demanded and you will have the best fulfillment and the best feeling going home today. I did not get tired of my job. I love what I do. So wishing you guys the best, especially this tough times, choose the right residency and graduate and have the best career, you know? Yeah. And I'll say Whichever you planned for. with, with Amcare, that was the, uh, it wasn't the only rotation, but that rotation was for sure. Every single day, I was like excited to work for free. <laughs> like I love go in, absolutely. I was excited to work. For I free. asked my students. She just finished last week, and I asked her. I said, "Did you feel I was overwhelming you like too much?" And she goes, "No, no, no, no. Please ask me more." And then it was New Year's Eve. We had um uh, our we had a full day of work, and I said, mm-hmm. "Do you want to go like maybe like 15, 30 minutes early? It's New Year's Eve. I feel bad." And she goes, "No, no, 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 no. No, I want to stay. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm going to learn more. Ask me questions." So I kind of felt like that was a that was a sign that they're enjoying it. You know, they don't mm-hmm. want to go home early, even though it's holidays yeah. so it was funny i don't th- i don't think i've i might have only left early one day on that rotation or like one <laughs> i would always end up staying late whether it's i had stuff to do or just because like i just felt like hanging around and like picking the pharmacist brain or hanging out with the residents that were there so it was just, just, it was just, just ta- absolutely yes yeah, it was a lot of fun but thank you so much um i'll let you go now thank you thank you as well Yes, and always feel free to reach out to us if you ever need anything. Um, me or my co-host, you have our Instagram, so you can message, and you also have my my. Um, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely, we'll talk more about pharmacogenomics once I have the established practice. That will be exciting, you know, to understand the pharmacist's perspective of, of actually 
um, collaborating with different, you know, um, specialties and primary care as well, and becoming their pharmacogenomics pharmacist. That is a fantastic opportunity. Uh, once I establish it and then we are a few months in, I will also, you know, contact Dick Beth and then we'll talk more about it. Yes, please, please, please. And I, well, not now, but I love to travel before COVID. And, um, yeah, I would love to come maybe shadow for a day or two. Um, I have some family in LA, so I should be Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. You're so welcome to do it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Delving. Have a wonderful day. Take care.